Scott here. Welcome back to Casey Greats, the show that tells inspiring stories of people doing great things right here in Kansas City. Today, I'm excited to share a discussion with a new friend of mine. Shamari Benton is a real estate development and business attorney here in Kansas City. And one area he focuses on is green development here in town. So that's kind of where we started this discussion. However, we ended up getting into several great subjects regarding development here in Kansas City. And I'd especially like to give props to Shamari for a couple of outstanding hidden gems he brought up. Maybe the best that I've gotten this far because they're, they're great places to introduce new areas of town to us that you may not have heard of. So I think you'll enjoy this one. Let's get to it. Hey folks, Scott here back with another KC Greats episode. And I'm fortunate to be speaking with Shamari Benton today. And Shamari knows a lot of stuff about things that I don't know very much about. <laughs> Uh, green development and uh, Kansas City uh, as far as development projects. So, Shamari, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate Thank you, you taking the time. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate being here. So, I got a lot to learn today, man. This is this is something that's kind of totally out there for me. I understand a little bit on the kind of the construction side of green, but getting it going early on, um, that is going to be a lot of learning. So, let's start kind of back are you are you from here i always like to find out folks are native from kansas city yeah i'm born and raised kansas city um left around 1997 okay um had stints in a lot of different a lot of different places uh lived in west virginia lived in florida um came back to missouri went to mizzou went to law school at mizzou uh, studied abroad in argentina oh wow fascinating uh, yeah yeah it was uh very, very thankful to, to be able to do that. Um, and then lived in different places in Missouri, right? So Columbia, obviously, with Mizzou, Springfield, and then found myself back here uh, exactly a decade later in 07. Um, so yeah, um, born and raised Kansas City, left for a decade, came back. That's great. It's, I think that's a pretty common tale. Yeah. Uh, that's a really neat, diverse uh, chain of places, too. You got to see a lot of the world and a lot of differences uh, and similarities to what we got here, I bet. Right. Well, cool. Well, now you're back here in town, you said a decade later, so you've been back for almost a decade. Right. And you are a development lawyer now, is that? Correct. Real estate, primary? Real estate development attorney. Okay, great. Um, and what's your firm? You're partnered with some guys, right? Right. So it's myself, uh, David Lloyd and Peter Chung. Okay. Ben Lloyd and Chung. Headquartered in the Crossroads, and we focus on business law and real estate development. Okay, and you really try to try to focus a lot and work with um, green development and things that are environmentally friendly, right? Where does that go in Kansas City, or how is that going here? I mean, are we on top of it? Do we have growth, or what? Right. So yeah. Um, so to kind of dig into the weeds a little bit of, of our practice. Um, we, we do work with um, clients who are focused on sustainability for their developments. Okay. Not all of our clients, all of our clients, I think, want to have some form of sustainability, but um, the degree as to which they do so is different. 
at between each client, right? Um, so with all that said, the vast majority of our projects are in the urban core, right? Okay. And typically when you deal with urban core developments, um, you're dealing with some form of uh, environmental issues, right? Whether Certainly. Uh, whether that be lead paint, or whether that whether that be asbestos, whether that, that be a whole host of, of, of issues um, that you're gonna deal with when you're trying to redevelop when you're trying to redevelop an existing structure, right? Or even a, an open lot that used to have um, vertical on it, right? Right. Who knows what was on it in the past? Exactly. When it was destructed and filled in. It's it's yeah. it's really common to um, to run into a lot that would have an underground storage tank, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, old that oil tanks. Yeah, so. old oil tanks. And so when you run into um, when you run into a situation like that, as an example. Um, there are particular regulations that uh, the property owner has to go through to remove it, you know, the sites, so on and so forth. So that's where we come in. Interesting. So that is, that kind of opens the book on something to me where we see a lot of reclamation of historical buildings and some of our whole neighborhoods like right. the crossroads. Right. And it's fantastic. Right. But even before you get into the area that is, I guess, newsworthy and showy of hey, we put solar panels on the roof and we're sustainable this way, we gotta back way up just to start the project then right. and make sure that we can actually put our business there right. legally. Right. Interesting, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize there were that many requirements there. I thought it was all focused on the end game of you know energy and things like that. And, that, and, that's, and that's part of it, but um, again, it, it depends on what degree as to which you're talking about remediation mm -hmm. uh, and or um, uh, removal of, of contaminants uh, but ultimately the property owner uh, is going to want to know what he or she needs to do to abide by the rules that apply to their property. Right? So you guys get to dig into that. <laughs> we get to dig into that right on, on multiple levels environmental level, zoning level okay. um, and obviously uh, there's always issues of Capital, right? Sure. And and what what is this going to cost us, right? And so we dig into we dig into that realm. Uh, ultimately, everyone's goal within the development team is to get the property owner uh, to the end game of opening up their building, right? Absolutely. Or constructing or constructing their building on this particular site okay. um, with the least amount of headaches, right? So. Areas that we see right now is, uh, you know, take West Bottoms, for example, and um, Berkeley Riverfront. Mm -hmm. When we drive by them, you know, there are some buildings that look like they're in pretty good shape. Right. On the riverfront, there's some areas that look like they might be pretty sketchy, former old industrial, you know, riverfront sites. It's awesome that people want to redevelop them, but there's maybe some hurdles there to right. get that done. And, 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 and the truth is, in most cases, it's cheaper to go greenfield and, and build new construction than it is to take an older building okay. um, and redevelop it, right, for the hurdles that we talked about earlier. Right. And so, um, it's a labor of love for for those property owners to, to do that, right? They really and, have to be committed to the placement of a business in a certain area for community reasons or personal reasons that yeah. correct or, or or you know the model for them 
makes sense in that particular urban environment as opposed to a more uh, suburban or, or, rural, or rural environment. Uh, but all that being said, there are cost factors related to that. Right? Sure. And typically, uh, you are going to get some issues when it comes to building out within that sort of dense environment, um, cleaning up, uh, remediating uh, within uh, an existing structure or lot. And um, I think we are, we are all um, we are all hopeful that uh, there continues to be developers and property owners that see the benefit in, in keeping these um, historic buildings um, uh, in use because it creates the uniqueness for the city, right? Um, it, it, it creates culture or it's a part of culture for the city. Certainly, and it's been a, a huge part of the last really five to 10 years for Kansas City is right. our, our urban core growth, our reclamation projects and things like that. And I know we've still got a long ways to go and it makes, it kind of makes me wonder if, uh, number one, it makes me wonder how, how uh, supportive and involved is the city? Because I'm guessing they could kind of be a light switch either go or no go on a lot of these projects if they are going to help very much. Um, and second, it, so many folks I've talked to uh, have highlighted the challenges that we still have in Kansas City for uh, a really big split of diversity challenges mm. that we, you know, one side of truce is one way and the other side is another way. Um, there's a lot of really cool locations on the east side of the city. Right. But the challenges that you guys help people face are really barriers to that diverse development as well. Right. So yeah, that's a that's a that's a two part question. So the first part um, it, it relates to uh, city support mm -hmm. for continued development, and uh, in my experience, the city and um, statutory agencies that are involved with development projects have been very supportive. That's good to hear. I yeah. Mean, this, is, this isn't an elect somebody or somebody else thing. This is whole departments. <laughs> right. I, I think in general, uh, I, I think in general cities and statutory agencies, agencies have been very supportive of, of development in Kansas City. Now, that being said, uh, there has been some controversy lately related to incentives tied into those okay. developments. Tax abatements, things like that. Exactly. Okay. And, 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 and whether um, the connection between the need for those incentives based on uh, a blight designation is warranted, right? Uh, so like the, uh, the recent issue is like the intercontinental story. Intercontinental right? is a great example. I think the word blight may put people off. Right, it, it, it's a great example. And, and um, you know, to, to dig into the statutory language of, of, of what blight means and how it relates to the incentives or the need for the incentives um, to assist in completing a development project is one we can discuss until the cows come <laughs> home. But needless to say, um, the, those issues are they're still pending, right? And sure. there's still conversations. And the city, the development community, um, the statutory agencies, the taxing jurisdictions, who feel that they've been left short based on 
some of these policies right. are all still coming to the table and trying to figure out what's the next step, given that, given where we are now, right? Mm-hmm. Given where we are in terms of the continued growth of the urban core, uh, more people, more businesses moving back to the downtown area. Uh, what's next? What used to be blighted, what used to be considered blighted 10, 15, 20 years ago, is it still blighted now, right? And, and, um, and that's a question that is still being asked, and um, I'm not sure that all those folks that we just mentioned earlier have come to some uh, agreement. That's well. That's a lot of a lot of different opinions, a lot of different uh, agendas to bring together. I'm sure because if you've got a tax district that is, they maybe they've seen the growth and they've seen an increased um, tax base because of the growth. Well, maybe they don't think they need to get any more abatements because it's an attractive place, but maybe the city does think they need to to keep that growth going, I guess. Right. Finding that balance point, uh, working with your clients, is going to be tough. Right. Interesting. Um, so on the surface, from, from my understanding, a blight designation may allow an organization or an entity to access certain grant programs and things like that. It's not, it's not an automatic... You know, free taxes or something, but there are different programs they can access with that designation, right? Correct. And and again, not to get into too <laughs> much legalese, but sure. blight designation is one of under 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 certain uh, in, in incentive uh, tools. Blight designation is only one of a myriad of of designations that a property owner can um, can state that they're. Uh, existing property is is under in order to receive the incentives, right? Okay. Blight so is the most controversial. And a good example. Right. People may have heard. Um, but, but yes, um, it, it is a, um, again, it, 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 it is a conversation that's being had, it's a conversation that's being had in, in, in the public eye, right? Absolutely. For all to see. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, and, you know, I'm a real estate development attorney, uh, therefore I'm very passionate about development. Right. Um, and I want to see development continue to grow in Kansas City. Sure. I think I grew up in Kansas City when folks left downtown at five o'clock. It was dead as a door now. It was a ghost town. Um, there was very little uh, things of interest downtown, and I think if folks can remember where we came from mm-hmm. to where we are now, um, I think that uh, the folks involved in uh, the development community have done a pretty good job getting us to to where we need to be. I don't think that's a question. I mean, we've got we've got places like you know crossroads where you've got a first Friday's event that you know people from Johnson County and you know Liberty and all the suburbs come down here right 20 years ago would that ever happen no, no there, there was nothing to come to right <laughs> it was a bunch of warehouses and empty buildings right so that's a huge success obviously right is pulling the urban core back together I guess you could say and going forward it seems to me that at this point it it's funny, it seems like we had talked a little bit before about balance points between all these things. Mm-hmm. 
And it seems right now that one of those balance points is kind of maybe even a connection between here in the crossroads and out to the 18th and Vine. Yeah. How, you know, because they've struggled, right. unfortunately. And it's such great history for our city right. and for the community that how do we connect these two, right. you know, and make that one large area, I guess. Right. I, and, and, and that's part, I think, of the, of, of the next phase and the next step. That's part of the conversation between um, the development community, the city, the taxing jurisdictions, et cetera, the, yeah. the, the, the folks that I, I was discussing earlier. And, and so I think if we all agree that that is the next phase or that's part of the next phase, right? How do we, grow, how do we expand uh, this growth that we've seen downtown, crossroads, midtown, et cetera? to the east side, right? Yeah, and keep it going. And keep it going. Um, it has to be done, right? It needs to be done. And um, I, I believe that there are existing uh, incentives on the books that will help with that. For example, I used to live in a neighborhood called Beacon Hill, which, yeah. is, which is east of Troost, right? It's, it, it's, it's, the rough boundaries are Troost on the west, Paseo on the on the east, thirty uh, first street on the south, and then twenty fourth street on the north. And um, the question was, um, now that we have a developer and the city behind redeveloping Beacon Hill as an urban core neighborhood, how do we keep it from gentrifying to the point where the people who have lived there for years can no longer afford to live there. Right, I mean, the <laughs> the money side of development might say, bring in a, a great modern builder that's either gonna renovate or build new homes that cost people $400,000. Right. Which has happened. I mean, it, it, which partially may not be a bad thing, right. but okay. to keep the diversity, not just, um, not just ethnically, but right. economically right. and everything that makes it a healthy neighborhood. How right. do we do that? Right, and, and, I, and I think, the first question is, is that important, right? And, and I would posit that it is. It's important to have that diversity that you just spoke, spoke on, Scott. But, but second, how do you do it? And, and I think the way, that, uh, the way that it happened in Beacon Hill, and I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, mm -hmm. but I think it's one way to do it is we have a tool in Missouri called a 25-year tax plan, right? 353, because that's the statutory chapter okay. that it's under, right? Um, and the mechanics in Beacon Hill allow for existing homeowners to choose to fall under the Homeowners Association of Beacon Hill, right? And through that, they receive the 25-year tax abatement, right? Which, okay. which again, not to get too deep into the weeds, <laughs> okay. but essentially, but essentially locked in their their real property tax. So when that developer that you discussed builds that half a million dollar home down the street, right, mm -hmm. which logically would in in a um, um, in a common marketplace would increase that neighbor's real property tax. Mm -hmm. In this case, with the three fifty three tax abatement it locks in that property tax um, 
that they paid prior to that new development. Okay, so it kind of grandfathers and then from, it doesn't necessarily let them not pay taxes. It, right. it simply says, okay, we're gonna have development that's gonna, to the good side, increase your value. Right. However, we don't want that new assessment to completely damage your finances because your tax is double. Right. Okay, well that makes sense. And of course, again, there's there's, there's differences probably, right? Right. There's there's some particulars <laughs> that 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 were kind of um, uh, uh, that we're skipping over for for sake of sure of the show. Well, I, I but, like it simple. <laughs> but 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 I think the general um, the, the 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 general scope is is just that, right? Well, that's interesting that you you bring that to light because you know my assumption when I hear tax abatement program or something is, and I think probably the layman's understanding is always this individual or this unit doesn't pay taxes right. for X amount of years. And that's not true. That's not true. They're contributing. Right. It's just, we have to find a way as we increase values here to keep it from, you know, raising the cost basis of their taxes to the point that they got to move. Right. And, and, and typically when people think of these abatements, they think of commercial properties, right? right. Which are, you know, those abatements are, they're applied there too. Right, but but in the in the case of in the subject matter that we're discussing, right, uh, Easter Truce development, how do we how do we um, invite uh, growth Easter Truce while still uh, attempting to at least in terms of degree uh, avoiding some of the um, gentrification pitfalls that um, other markets uh, have seen, and I think. Um, through my through my own personal experience and professional experience, I think that's one way to do it. That's interesting. I, totally new concepts to me, so I really appreciate you explaining those. And I, and I think a lot of people will get some some eye opening from that because we don't all play in that world every day. Right. And that's great. So, well, that's really cool, man. Um, now you're working with folks currently that are that are that are kind of focused not only on those types of projects, but you know, back to the green side of things that are doing things like container buildings and stuff like that. And that's, that's kind of the, the cherry on top fun thing, isn't right. it? To really go extreme on the, the green side of things. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, it, I, I, I think that um, repurpose, reuse, particularly when you talk about shipping containers and yeah. some of these other materials that I think are out of the box, right? It's positive on for a myriad of reasons. Um, one, um, it, it could be could be cheaper for the property owner, right? It could be less expensive in terms of the, the, the materials. Mm -hmm. um, it's obviously good for the environment to reuse materials that um, in other instances would just sit in a sit on a site, uh, sit on a dump site, and rust. Uh, and, and rot and rust. And from an aesthetics optics point of view, I think it's pretty cool, right? Like that changes it up a little bit. It changes it up, yeah. right? So you know, you have your built environment, you have your traditional brick or you know uh, stucco or what have you, and then all of a sudden you see this, you see this building with you know shipping containers, and people yeah. are traversing in and out. It might be a little coffee shop. It might be a dog park bar. Absolutely. It, yeah. it might be a. a it might be a myriad of things, but but yeah, I think I, I think it's it, it's all in all positive. Folks, at least consider using those uh, recycled materials.
Well, again, to the, the idea of balance points, there's got to be, um, for a lot of these, there are show projects that just cost too much and right. get you a new story, and there are real impact projects that you may actually make some trade-offs for in your functionality here and there, but you know it's, it's a big impact to use reclaimed materials or something like that, even if it costs you just a little bit more. Right. In the long term, it's costing everyone a bit less. Right. So that's pretty cool. Well, we've obviously got a lot going on here in town right. uh, around things like green and just reclamation development and stuff like that. We've talked about the riverfront before. Um, what is it that, that Kansas City, from, from your ground level though, what are we missing, you know, either you know, support-wise or project-wise, what, what do we need to take that next step in, in the development area that's, that's from your evaluation? That's a really good question, and and I'll answer that question, but, but, but with the understanding that I, I do think that there has been uh, some serious positive momentum. Absolutely. Uh, it's not a negative. It's just we can't have it all. Right. And, and we, and the, the development community, the city, um, all the folks uh, involved and or interested in the continued growth of downtown and the urban core in general, done a really good job in getting us to this point, right? But what's the next phase, right? And then what needs to happen um, uh, for that growth? And in my um, humble opinion, there's a handful of things. We are a very, Autocentric yeah. metropolitan area, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with cars. I, <laughs> I like cars. Um, they get you around easy. We we don't have a traffic issue like a lot of other cities. I was just in DC not that long ago. That's ugly. Traffic in DC is crazy. Uh, I'm glad we do not have to deal with that. That being said, there's a fundamental issue between um, moving people and moving cars. Right. Uh, well, and, your space requirements right off the bat are totally different. Exactly. Right? And, and, and so if, if we want to get to the next phase of uh, the built environment for our city, if we want to get to the next phase of the energy that you feel when you're in downtown mm -hmm. Denver um, or downtown Minneapolis, um, yep. so on and so forth, we have to find a way to curb auto dependency within environments that are supposed to be dense, right? We have to find a way to say, okay, if you want to drive your automobile, fine, right? All well and good. But there's, there's a section of the population who also wants to ride their bike who also wants to take public transportation, who also wants to walk. And then from that chain, you will also get more development on surface parking lots that leave open space. Right. You'll get wider sidewalks, right? Um, you'll get all these things that, that then domino effect into more energy on the street, uh, more businesses opening, more people living in, in, in on denser blocks, so on and so forth, right? Well, and that leads into, I, a lot of different issues. The, the the top level, highly politicized thing that everybody wants to talk about is always either light rail or streetcar or something like that. But yeah. it's more than that. Um, just in my day to day with real estate, I notice Kansas City's really bad at at walking neighborhoods. Right. And 
and some of that may be zoning, you know, because we don't have a, a corner store that somebody can walk right down to to grab their gallon of milk versus going to Hy-Vee or Walmart, which are great. Right. But like you said, they're dependent on that car to get them because it's a mile or two or a bus line that I'll be honest, you may not want to opine on them, but I will say something about our public transportation. <laughs> um, I, I'm a fan. I've spent time in some cities that have really good models for public transportation that are easy to use. And um, earlier this summer, I was looking at, uh, I think it's a Ride KC website, okay. to try to find, hey, how do I ride the bus? Okay. And you know what? It's really hard. They don't even just have, I'm, I've gone to Chicago before for day trips to museums. Mm-hmm. And man, you can just hop on something and there's a map and it's easy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tough to ride Kansas City's buses. I can't just get a big picture map that says start here and go there. So we got work to do. We, we, we have work to do. Um, I, Kansas City is in a very unique position. So uh, by land, Kansas City is roughly the same size as New York City, right? If you take all the five boroughs, if you take all the five boroughs in New York City, right? It's so easy to expand here. Um, and and so when you that that's a double edged sword, right? Of positive and negative. Mm-hmm. If you want that open, expanse suburban lifestyle, and <laughs> it still wants to live in Kansas City, Missouri, that's great. You have the Northland, you have uh, uh, the Southland. Uh, to do that, and those are all great areas, right? But it is important to also have an urban experience for those within the marketplace who want it, Absolutely. right? And and if we're going to do that as a city, if, if if we're going if we're going to create that situation that we just talked about, this 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 large city uh, that's roughly the size of New York, yet New York City has. The same, the same or similar population as the state of Missouri within that same <laughs> within, the same, within that same area, right? Wow. Um, we could use that as an advantage in that in that our um, our real estate options um, can be very diverse, very myriad. I, I think what we can do a better job at, I think what we're trying to do a better job at is create that dense urban environment for those who want it, right? I don't think previously, when I was growing up here, that wasn't really an option, um, at least to the degree as to which I think a lot of people want it, right? Well, yeah, just the, uh, whoops, broke your chair. Uh, Just the, uh, I don't know, kind of the cliche option of the downtown loft, you know, with the hardwood floors and the exposed pipes. Until, a few years ago, that really wasn't a great option here in Kansas City, right. or available in a lot right. of places. And, and, and to get to your point, look, uh, having having great uh, public transportation option um, in the Northland or south of 85th Street um, mm-hmm. may not be possible, right? Just based on how it's built. And you know what? That's fine, right? Because if you choose to live there, that might not be something you want anyway. It may not be important to you. I think we would have a lot of people if we had um, access points that were closer. You know, one just across the river, maybe, where you could go from your suburban area, essentially a park and ride, connect with that transportation that gets you down to these places that you want to be. I mean, it, it reduces 
the auto dependency at least you know halfway to a degree yeah, yeah. so yeah and, and I think if, if we continue to to create the true urban dense option a, tr a real option right where you can where you can you can be auto free right if I live downtown if I live in Westport if I live in Hyde Park and I want to take the streetcar to downtown and then I want to take it again to UMKC um, that would make our city as a whole a better place to live work and play absolutely um, and I think the public transportation element that you were referring to uh, can get there, but it only—I think it only makes sense, or it makes the most sense within um, within that sphere, within that dense sphere, and um, and and whether that grows into the other uh, more suburban areas of Kansas City, Missouri, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll see. But I don't—I don't think that, that that's necessary. I think it's a good thing that we do have those different lifestyle options. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it's 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 very unique uh, within a major city's proper um, boundaries, right? Uh, we're in a very unique position, and I think we can use that to our advantage. Cool. Well, I appreciate your opinion on that, and uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, something I always am curious about, Shamari, being somebody that, that came back to Kansas City because you love it. What uh, what are some I guess some uh, some some issues or some maybe some charitable causes that are important to you that, that you like working with here in town. I know you mentioned that you and your partners work with one at UMKC, I think. Yeah, so uh, one, one of my law partners, David Boyd, uh, he's also a professor at, at uh, UMKC. He started this cool project called the Tie Library. Okay. And so what he asked, he, he asked for donations of ties, um, dress shirts, blazers, uh, slacks, so on and so forth, right? Okay. And then students can go into the can go into the library, borrow those items for an interview or what have you, and then return them for for the next student, right? Like and so I uh, I uh, I would like to I like to plug that, and uh, and if, if you have something that you'd like to donate, uh, reach out to to David Boyd um, uh, for that. The other uh, the other organization I would like to plug is Greenworks. Okay, Greenworks. I'm not sure I've heard of them before. So Greenworks uh, was started around uh, 07. Don't hold me to that date, but I, I, <laughs> I think it was I think it was 2007 when Kate Corwin, the founder of Greenworks, uh, uh, founded it, and it's an organization that teaches math and science related to uh, the green economy. To uh, to inner city youth, right, and and it's in collaboration with uh, a handful of partners in Kansas City, but it's full course through through the high school year, right, and then um, GreenWorks connects those students with green college jobs in the summer, right, paid so internships, real internships, that real internships. They can see what is going on. How, how what they've learned is applied. For example, um, there was a summer when Greenworks worth, worked with Parks and Rec, right? Yeah. And students came out and they saw how what they, what, what they have been um, learning 
applies to uh, uh, the parks department and uh, how the parks department maintains uh, open space within within the city. So um, it's it's a great program. Um, Kate is phenomenal. She's very passionate about it. Uh, uh, the students are phenomenal, um, and it's it, we um, we as a city should should be very thankful that uh, uh, that that program um, is around. Well, that that really seems to make perfect sense too, because with the the items that you mentioned with <clears throat> urban core development, right, is you know it's. It's one thing to have outside individuals come in and do that development, but to start within that core, this has got to be a great enabler for the, the residents that are already there. What it means to use these principles and to use these you know, business ideas to bring it back right where they're already at. Right. Instead of just you know hoping and wishing on a star of some company from somewhere else, right? That's a great tie, you know, as you could build a legacy of individuals that are interested in doing it at home. Exactly. So that's really cool. We'll have to look into that and make sure that people uh, get to their website and check yeah, it out. Awesome. That's cool. Well, one thing that I'm always curious about because you're you're a longtime Kansas City guy and you got a great perspective on town, and this could be anything: uh, restaurants, bars, whatever, uh, <laughs> parks. I was curious what some of your hidden gems are in town that you think everybody should know about. Well, that's hard because sometimes they're great because they're hidden gems. Exactly. So much you go too far. Don't you, worry, I don't have that many listeners. <laughs> um, can I can I plug two? Absolutely. So so one is, one is current, and then one um, is actually uh, a project a project that uh, is coming online that I. Our firm actually works on. Oh, cool. So the first is Strawberry Hill. Uh, it's a neighborhood in downtown Kansas City, Kansas. Um, historically, uh, it, it was uh, predominantly Slavic, predominantly Eastern European. Really um, interesting. And uh, so those uh, those spots that you were talking about earlier, like little corner stores mm-hmm. or corner bars or whatever, they have that in that neighborhood. It's very walkable. There's a church with a bowling alley and a bar in the basement. That's super You're cool. That's no, no, awesome. it's serious. Um, it is an amazing neighborhood. The drinks are inexpensive. The people are great. It's, oh, that's really cool. That is one it's of awesome. the best ones that I've heard in all oh, these really? episodes. That okay. is really cool. Strawberry Hill. Out. Strawberry Hill. Okay. It's, it's a great neighborhood. Um, the second one, uh, we work with a car client, Hardesty Renaissance. That purchased an 18-plus acre site off of Independence Independence Avenue in Hardesty in Old Northeast. Cool. These buildings are former uh, uh, military complex buildings. Um, sure. Twenty thousand plus square feet old size industrial for old industrial buildings, right? And um, Hardesty Renaissance is collaborating with Northwest Missouri State University and centering a mixed-use development around food, right? The production of food, the education of food, um, um, food related to the communities uh, that are centered in Northeast, right? So you're talking about uh, uh, a project, a site, that's roughly the same size as the plaza, right? Yeah, 18 acres is not small. It's not small. In the urban core, right? 
um, collaborating with a, a fairly large local university. Well, in a fantastic agriculture school, historically. Fantastic ag school, right? Yeah. Um, that's focused on food. It's a very unique project, and it's, um, uh, it's taken a lot of hard work from a lot of people to get it to where it is now. Wow. That's and, really cool. and it's it's and it's continues to take work to get it to the next phase, um, but uh, when that project comes online, um, I think Kansas City is going to feel very lucky that um, uh, very thankful that um, that that project uh, exists uh, within our within our borders. That's really cool, man. I mean, I know. I had talked to a gentleman named Dre Taylor before mm-hmm. that uh, Dre's been working on similar things, just putting his heart and soul into essentially trying to trying to rid that side of the city of the food desert mm-hmm. problem. And that's exactly the same type of project on a, a bigger corporate and educational scale. So is he the gentleman who started the uh, the the urban farm off of 29th, 29th and Wabash, Wabash. and okay. There's, there's fight. I read about, I read about, I read about that. What he, um, what he's doing, Dawson, man. Yeah, he's a neat guy. Yeah. He's, he is uh, full steam ahead at making a difference over there. Right. And what a cool project that something that large with really Northwest Missouri State has been a real leading university in projects like that and technology. You know, one of the first ones in the country to have computers in every room. And stuff like that. So that's in their DNA is to really lead. I'm going to look into that, man. That's exciting. Yeah, Hardesty Renaissance. Um, it's again, it's it's it, it is a large uh, uh, site. It's a large project. Um, there have been a lot of people working very hard to get to where it is, uh, but it's it's very unique, and I and I think. Um, I think it will again take us to the next level of, 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 of what we do next in development. What's the next? Uh, what's the next phase for the city? Well, that that is something that yeah, definitely those two qualify as great hidden gems. So, Dre, uh, Dre, I'm sorry, man. I was just talking. Oh, uh, that's terrible. I'm not even gonna cut that. I'm just gonna make myself like that. <laughs> This is Shavari and Scott. Yeah, Shavari. Thank you very much, man. I've learned a ton today. I hope people who listen to it learn a lot about what you guys are doing and what, you know, start getting an idea of what we can all do in a city to, to keep this going and keep the momentum with our development. And maybe understand and then step back a little when we see some of the news stories and try to dig for the deeper uh, understanding of it. So, I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate what you do. It affords um, it affords folks who are passionate about Kansas City to uh, have a voice. So thank you. That's the idea. So on that, thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, so who wants to go check out the Strawberry Hill neighborhood with me? I'm definitely going to be driving down there to check it out and see what unique places I can find to enjoy. And aside from that, I should probably apologize to Shimori for my feeble interviewing skills. I kind of had them all over the place in this show. Uh, 
But he stuck with it, and a big thanks to him, because in spite of me, I thought there was a ton of great stuff to learn here. There's a lot of progress with development going on in town, but as you see, there are a lot of challenges that have to be tackled up front to get those things done. So hopefully guys like Shamari and uh, folks at the city and other organizations are going to keep things going very well for us. As always, I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with friends through social media or rate and review it on iTunes. And also, if you know somebody you think that should have their story told, please just let me know. You can always reach me at Facebook or Twitter and, of course, email scottcaseygrades.com. Thanks again for joining me. I'll see you next time.